Amen. Please let's make welcome uh, the elders in our midst, Reverend Peter Tindana and uh, Reverend Carl from Cape Coast. <laughs> Amen. Please make an arrangement for us to be with him in Cape Coast. Uh, inform me the next AEC. The week before the AEC, let us jump into Cape Coast and In the name of Jesus, we ask that you quicken your counsel upon our spirit man. Cause the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. So that through your spirit, we will be forced to contemplate the emphasis of your heart. Bestow your favor on us and cause us to see what men are hasty about and never get to see. Let your blessings abide and be a foot to the glory of your name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Amen. The moment we walked into the airport in Ghana, there was so much peace. Uh, you know, I've been fighting battles since February. <laughs> so when I stepped in here, uh, there was so much peace in the land. And I knew it would be very easy for me to hear the voice of God. So we went and hid ourselves, seeking his goodwill. And guess what? He was waiting for us. The presence of the Lord... <laughs> presence of the Lord is in Ghana. All right. I won't say that. Let us begin our journey from the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 10. If you have that, you can put it on the screen. So I salute you and all the people that had to travel from different regions because of the conference that is about to hold. Your trip will not be in vain. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Yes, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, where are my friends? Where is Josiah? Ah, okay. God bless you indeed. In the name of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why I started with Hebrews chapter 13 is because um, I know we are knowledgeable Christians. And uh, for many of us, the concept of the altar seemed to be an Old Testament relegated concept, so it is needful for me to start from this place so that I can bring you up to speed uh, with the actual perspective of the concept of the altar in the Bible. This is Paul speaking in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 10. And what does he say? No, I'm, I'm, I can't hear you. He said what? Now, this, is, this man is speaking from New Testament perspective. And the way he starts this presentation uh, is contrary to our perception. He said, we have 
an altar. The concept of altars is littered across the Bible. I'm still trying to find the direction that the Holy Spirit will give me. There are so many things in my spirit. I don't even know how to start. But I can start by saying that the concept of the altar is littered across the Bible such that seven times in the book of Revelation, that is in heaven, we see the administration of altars in heaven. So that cannot be an Old Testament concept. It's an eternal concept because it is factored in the civilization of heaven. And it will also interest you to know that part of the encounters that Paul had when he went to Arabia for his honeymoon with Jesus, you know, the thing about Paul is that when he gave his life to Christ, he went on honeymoon for three and a half years to seek the one whose heart that he has seeded his heart onto. All right? You gave your life to Christ, you went about your normal business. Paul gave his life to Christ, he went on honeymoon. And by the time he came back from his honeymoon, there were several revelations he had, some of which he had to ask the churches to pray for him, for God to grant him utterance to communicate. And if you're a good Bible student, you will know that it took him 17 years to find the utterance to communicate some matters that are captured in the book of Ephesians. One of those matters is the heavenly ministry of Jesus. You know, I told you there are altars in heaven. I don't know if God wants me to talk about heavenly altars and their administration. I don't know yet, but I'm just trying to... I don't know where he wants me to stand. There are 17 places that we need to enter on the subject of altars. And it's difficult to know where to start. Well, one of the things that he revealed was the heavenly ministry of Jesus. That Jesus' ministry did not end on the cross. That when Jesus was admitted into the heavens, he was brought into an administration. And the administration has many dimensions which we cannot discuss this night. But one of such administrations is his priestly ministry. His priestly ministry is captured in three dimensions. One, he is called the heavenly priest. Two, he is called the king priest. And three, he is called the divine priest. To show you that in heaven there is a priesthood. And that priesthood operates by an altar. If I have time, I'll show you. Are you there? Alright, so when we call him the divine priest, we are saying that... Uh, his priesthood, the operating system, the, the power that drives his priesthood is the fact that he's in possession of an endless life. Are you with me? If we call him a king priest, because that's what Melchizedek is about. It's a, the intersection between the royal dimensions and the priestly dimensions. In the Old Testament theology, you will find out that those offices do not overlap. You are either a priest or a king or a prophet. In fact, part of the challenge that Uzziah had was that even though he occupied the office of the king, he, he wanted to function in the capacity of the priest. And that was trespass. And that was what led to his death. Are you with me? But in Melchizedek, 
the two offices are blended together. So that means that in, I hope you know how the layout of the temple looks like. The outer court, the inner court, and the, the holy place. Do you realize that in all of those chambers, there is no seat for the priest? The priest is supposed to be standing to do his ministration. But you see, in the heavenly priesthood, there is a throne in the temple. Because that is the place of the king priests. That's where your call came from. You are not with me? All right. How many of you still remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12? He said there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Are you there? He said there are diversities of administrations or diversities of services, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but the same God worketh all in all. Do you notice that gifts, the umpire for gifts, is the spirit, the umpire for services and ministries is the Lord Jesus. The umpire of operations is the Father. So the source of your calling is the Lord Jesus. He sat on that throne in the temple in heaven, operating the capacity of a king priest to pronounce your calling. Your calling now gives you authority to be drafted into the service administration of Jesus Christ. There was a ministry that Jesus was doing here upon the face of the earth before he was crucified. So you are co-opted into that line of service. So your ministry cannot be, it's a subset of the universal set of the ministry that Jesus had. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So if we see you doing something that is not in the ministry of Jesus, who is wrong? Is it Jesus that is wrong? <laughs> May the Lord give you understanding. You know, they have accused me. They say, I am a trouble man. I am. No, our, the church in our day is falling. There is no critic I did anywhere in the world that was not Bible based. And the people confronting me and saying that this man is a, have never brought one scripture to contradict my oppressions. One scripture. It means we have found. A new, a new basis of rectitude, which is no longer the scriptures. It's a fallen age. Because even God himself cannot violate scriptures. When God speaks, his words become law and he himself becomes subject to it. It's only fallen man that models the perspective of rebellion. Jesus modeled the perspective of obedience. Are you still with me? Right, so, if you have gone to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, for instance, you will see three questions of redemption. The first says, who has believed our report? The second says, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The third says in verse 8, that he was taken from prison, he was taken from judgment, who shall declare his generation? It means Jesus, if he were here, he would still have ministry to do. But he was taken from prison. He was taken from judgment. That is ministry that he could not complete. Is what you are called to participate in. So your own expression of ministry cannot be different from what Jesus did. Are you, are you following me? But in order for you to be called into that line of service, the king priest had to sit as king in the temple. 
to proclaim, to give you authorization to function in that capacity. It is that authority that, that enforces the manifestation of anointing, which is God's energy system, to drive you along the path of your ordination. Are you there? So I don't want to go deeply into that matter. But he is a king priest, he's a heavenly priest, and he is a divine priest. And if I, no, I don't want to go there. I can show you his altars in heaven as it is arrayed in the book of Revelation. My emphasis during the course of this conference is not to show you how altars in heaven operate. Even though one of these days, if the Lord gives us the liberty to face that direction, we will bring the counsel of God as it relates to such matters. But our emphasis for this conference this time is to see how altars operate on it. Is that clear? So first of all, what I've achieved by all of this talk is to make you understand that the concept of altars is not an Old Testament theory. It is something littered across the Bible and even heaven operates by altars. Exactly. Be a man of the Bible. Believe the word of God. Don't even believe me. Believe. If I say something that is contrary to the scriptures, when you go home, you can greet me, but go home and cast it away. It's a lie. It has no foundation. Let God be true. And let every man be a liar. Are you there? He said God is not a man that he should. So it means men lie. Mm, men, men, men lie, including me. Anytime I, I shift away from the word of God, don't believe me. The only thing that makes me authentic is because I lie behind the authority that has been established by the word of God. The Holy Ghost cannot operate outside of the Logos. So when we find men that are involved in extra-scriptural practices and they believe that it's the Holy Ghost that is inspiring them to do it, and people, people have not taken stones to stone them, it means that our generation has accepted compromise as one of our preoccupations. And Jesus is not a God of flattery. God says what he means, and he means what he says. Come with me, let us do some Bible study. As we lay the foundation. Lord, give me utterance, I beg of you. Give me utterance, give me utterance, give me utterance. Okay, let's, let me start on a simple note. Uh... And let us see how far we can go this evening. Once again, you are welcome in Jesus' mighty name. Okay. Along the line, as we proceed, I will know where God wants to go. But I don't know it now. Acts chapter 22 from verse 14. Acts 22, give me from verse, Acts 22 from verse 12. Give me from verse 12 so that we can understand and follow in the progression of revelation. This is a testimony that Apostle Paul tells. This is a story he never finished telling. The story of his encounter with Jesus Christ. 
All right? Now, I'd like us to pick the vital ingredients in the presentation, and then we'll use those ingredients as an object, an ingredient for our navigation this evening. Still, still on the story. Say, and one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having good report of the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked upon him. Verse 14. This is where I'm going. And he said, God of our fathers has chosen thee. It means this man had some interaction with Jesus Christ and he was coming to prophesy to Apostle Paul to give him perspective of his kingdom destiny. I hope you know the story. He was empowered by letters. When Christianity started, him being a zealot and one of the scholars in the ways, in the training and the education of the Pharisees, who happened to have done his master's degree under Gamaliel. Because when you finish from the pool of studies and you show some promise, you are separated from the general pool and then isolated to reputable scholars like Gamaliel so that you can, you know, um, advance your knowledge and become an expert in a certain theological area in Judaism. Paul had all of those honors. It's just like, a first-class graduate. And sometimes if you hit a first-class, you can go and do your PhD directly. There's no need for you to do master's. Because master's is the same thing as your first degree, just, just little differences to ensure that you master the things that they taught you in your first degree. So if you have already mastered it by showing your capacity to earn a first-class, you go and become an authority in it, and that's why you do your PhD. So, uh, this young man, we are talking about someone that is a, a PhD holder at the end of the process. And he felt that Christianity was a nuisance. It was an object that was set up to fight the spread of Judaism. And he went as far as going to the chief priest to get authorization so that he can bring people bound that were Christians, causing nuisance in the city and diverting the attention of people uh, doctrinally. So that was the first time in the history of the practice of Judaism that there was a militia that was set up to enforce the will of the Sanhedrin. That was the first time. And you, you, I think you, I, I know you know, I know you know, that the Sanhedrin did not only contain Pharisees, it contained Pharisees and Sadducees. And I don't have time to take you through the, the journey. I'll show you. It's just like, um, I've forgotten the name of your parties. But in the parliament, if you have more, eh? what, what are the names? MPC? MPP. Okay. So in the parliament, if you have more of MPP people, you know, they can have their way if they cast their vote. So I can show you times in that parliament where there were more Sadducees. I can also show you times in that parliament where there were more Pharisees. 
Because the, the parliament went the way of the Pharisees. So you can imagine that it was the Pharisees that had the upper hand when they set up the militia to enforce Judaism. Not the Judaism of the Sadducees, but the Judaism of the Pharisees. And I don't want to go into all the details about the differences. This guy was going armed with the authority that he needed to enforce the will of the Sanhedrin. And the object that empowered him were the letters he secured from the chief priest. So unfortunately for him, he met with the Lord. So he changed camp from the letters. He ended up with the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, so, may you change camp. May you change camp. <laughs> he changed camp from the letters to the Lord. And um, the first functionary that the Lord sent to him to give him proper orientation as to his scope of operation within the kingdom that he has found himself was Ananias. These are the words of Ananias. And I want you to know that these words did not originate from Ananias. These words originated from Jesus Christ. He was just a spokesman that was called to herald the counsel that he found on the mount of Jesus. And he was able to pick up this counsel because he had intimacy with Jesus. This is what he said. The God of our fathers have, has chosen thee. First reason. That thou shouldest know his will. Second reason. And see the just one. It's not enough for you to enter into the economy of his present revelation position in the spirit. He also wants to reveal himself to you. That's what makes a man a prophet. A man is not a prophet because he knows the will of God. Because before God sends you with his counsel, God would have revealed himself to you. So when you hear someone maybe operating in the capacity of the prophet by title, and he doesn't have the capacity to reveal God, he doesn't know ministry. He's an imposter. You know, you see, I'm not a pastor. I tell you the way it is so that you will know, you will understand. What makes, you are not with me. Let, me. let me repeat myself. What makes a man a prophet is not that he can scan you and no. That's not. An evangelist can do that. A teacher can do that. So what exactly is prophetic ministry? Prophetic ministry is the kind of thing that Ananias is doing. Can you see what I'm talking about? Ananias is speaking from the mouth of Jesus. Ananias knows Jesus. A prophet is a friend of Jesus. Now, if I come here today and I want to tell you about my wife, I've been in marriage by God's grace for 15 years. All right? If I want to tell you about my wife, I will not be telling you what her mother will tell you. Her mother has her own story to tell, which may be very different from my own story. But I'm speaking from the point of my interference, my friendship with that woman. She's been with me in the this, in this storm. In fact, you don't understand. 
She's the first daughter of a professor. And was the only daughter for 15 years before her brother came along. So they are used to secluded life. My dad was the first rich man from my village. Are you there? So what he did was that he goes around, he picks one person from this family to train, picks another person from that family to train. So at some point in my family, we were were like 22 people, members of my household. Not because my dad was a polygamist. Are you following me? But he had this heart of serving his people. Okay? So my wife is very closed, very reserved, and I'm a man of the people. And I'm not so by constitution. I, I, I'm so by exposure. Are you following? I remember some place that they gave us from, from London when we married. So she kept it somewhere. The, the, the plate has a name. It has a name. Wedges. I think you call it wedges also. Then there was this lady in the house that time. We later discovered it was a demon. She was possessed. But the, the demon moves her in the night to where those plates are. And then in the middle of the night, you hear... That was how those plates broke one by one until the entire inventory was consumed. It was later we detected that an evil spirit was behind it. May the Lord give you understanding. So you can imagine these two different kind of people. One very close, you know, and in fact, when I married her, I married her, I'm like my dad, so I brought people too. Married her into that confusion. So I can tell you, may the Lord give you understanding. I can tell you stories about how we grew. Today I have afflicted her with my ways that she can no longer live that secret life. She now likes people. It's a long story. See, the stories that I'm telling you now, the mother cannot tell you because they lived in a paneled house and she was upstairs. This one I'm telling you is a side of her that her mother never experienced. A prophet is a friend of Jesus. That is so, in, his business is intimacy with Jesus. But his ministry comes out of his intimacy with Jesus. So if a prophet begins to talk about his relationship with God and teach you about God, you will know God. When you see someone that doesn't have the dialect of God running around with a gift, masquerading as a prophet, then we have a problem. This man's ministry was coming from the fountain of his intimacy with Jesus Christ. He said, the God of our fathers has chosen thee. You are a product of the grace of divine election. Whereas they need to elect people into the parliament, you were chosen from the throne above. And no man cannot make this ordination. You don't look like it. People might even call you a murderer. But the God of our fathers. What has he done? He has chosen. Did you, did you campaign? The other day somebody told me, okay, maybe I was the one that told somebody. I said if, if it was an election, I would not win to qualify for the grace that God gave me. <laughs> and, and so also you. You will not win. But he chose. 
So that was the first insight that this man brings. And from the, when the Old Testament closed, this is the first man that ever spoke about receiving a message from the God of their fathers. This is the first one. Okay? He said, he has chosen you that you should know his will. He has chosen you that you should see the just one. He has chosen you that you should hear words from his mouth. So this is the intention of God. I've chosen you. So I'm telling you now that he chose you so that you can know his will. He chose you so that he will no longer be a stranger to you, but you'll be able to see him and build intimacy with him. He chose you so that you can hear words from his mouth. That's the package that God has for every New Testament believer. But I need to show you how to actualize this possibility, which is God's utmost desire for your life. So we're going to read it together again. And he said, one to go. And he said, the God of our fathers has chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will and see the righteous one and hear words from his mouth. Okay. So now this is the objective. This is why we are studying. We want to find out how, what is the technology that is in the Bible and affords us the opportunity to come into this reality that God is desiring for each and every one of us. And, and you will know that before this time, Apostle Paul was in Judaism. Before this time, even though in Judaism, Judaism was a product of an act of God. There was a, a certain revelation of God that gave birth to that. And God was moving into other things. At this time. Are you with me? You are not with me. That was why this man used the God of our fathers. He said, what we are doing here is not different from, it's the same God that gave us. So this, this shook him, seriously. That, eh? You heard from the God of, yes. Say he had chosen. He wants you to know his will. He wants you to see the righteous one. He wants you to hear words from his mouth. Okay. Alright, let's do something quickly. And what I want us to do is in the book of Genesis. We will take Abraham's life as a prototype. And we'll see how God led that man. You know, Abraham was an unbeliever. He was in the land of all the Chaldees. And God called him from his kindred from his country and from his father's house. Is that true? All right, so come with me quickly. In the book of Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, most of us know the call of Abraham, so I will start my reading from the obedience that Abraham brought to the table corresponding to the call that he had received, which is Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. 
And it will also interest you to know that the man, the first man in the entire Bible that God himself called a prophet was Abraham. And it was also interesting to know that Abraham never prophesied. Did you see? <laughs> oh, you are not, you are not. You see, your idea of who a prophet is is wrong. But I don't have time to tackle that now. That was the man that God called. He told Pharaoh, he says, go to that Abraham, let him pray for you because he is a prophet and he will pray for you. He did not say he's a prophet and he will prophesy to you. What did he say he will do? He will pray. I will explain why God said that. Are you there? If I give you the microphone now and I say, come tell us for two hours about God. Just tell us about God. If you can't do that, you are not a prophet. It means you don't know God. And if you don't, meanwhile, you can have a gift. You can have a gift and you might tell him something that is accurate. But you don't know God. So you are running that thing from the standpoint of a gift and not from the fountain of intimacy. Those are two different things. Don't confuse the gift. Anybody can have the gift. But what you can, anybody cannot have is intimacy with God. The man with the gift can be committing immorality. The reason is because he doesn't know the giver of the gift. The man that has intimacy with him will drink of his nature. You will see a stability in his conviction and his character. If you go to the New Testament, you will see that word elder. And then you see some qualifications for eldership. Have you seen it? Then you will notice one of the qualifications is that an elder must be flawless in character. He must be blameless. I say, ah, which kind of high? No, that is the result of intimacy. Because the moment you become sensitive to God, you will know when God is angry. And if you want to keep that relationship with him, you will have to appease him. You, you will go through a lot to, to secure that relationship back. You will know how God disciplines people that want to stay in alignment with him. Your character will change. You can't even stay in that anger. You stayed in anger for 12 years. How did you succeed? <laughs> so Abraham departed as the Lord has spoken unto him and Lot went with him and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. So he's, he's learning how to obey. The God he's obeying at this time, he doesn't know him. Doesn't know him. It's just that. In Abraham's case, God dealt with him. Because there are only two ways to enter into the crucible of spiritual knowledge. You see that God deals with you or you deal with God. Well, I want to show you how to deal with God. How to transact with God. And that's where the concept of altars come in. So at this time, God was dealing with him. Okay? So he was responding to God that was dealing with him, even though he doesn't know God. Next verse. 
And, and Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. It was as though God was saying that your destiny cannot be supported in the location where you are. You will need to migrate. You need to migrate to a certain place that I will show you. It is that location that has the capacity to support your destiny. So he has arrived there. But this is a summary of how Abraham navigated. I hope you know his navigation was based on the leading of God. You will go to a land that I will show you. So this is the graph of his navigation. Alright? So Abraham passed through the land of Sikkim. I hope you know what Sikkim means. Sikkim, sorry. Sikkim in Hebrew means shoulder. Those days, this was where people used to bear their load, carry their load. Right? I'm showing you where he navigated. And he came to the plain of Moreh. Moreh means an archer, someone that wants to. He's using a bow to release an arrow. Are you with me? Okay. What this, this is how he navigated Abraham's life. He took him through Sikkim first, and he took him through the plain of Moreh. The shoulder is the place of burden. So if God wants to teach you, what he does is that he, he allows a burden to overwhelm you. He allows a situation that you don't have the authority to be able to confront, to come into your life. You know why he does that? It because, because of the fall, you are likely to respond to that situation from your human capacity, from your human strength. And then you now are confronted with a humbling situation. How that your human strength doesn't have the authority to survive some circumstances. Oh, they are not with me. You've not been there before. Your technical know-how. I know you are intelligent. You went to University of Ghana. You came out with second class or in your course. So you are intelligent. There's nobody is disputing the fact that you are an intelligent person. But when the spirit wants to deal with you, what he does is that he orchestrates circumstances from the realm of the spirit against you. He allows it to come into your space. And then your intelligence will now become weak. It will now become insufficient. It's insufficient to drive your life from that position. It is when you have experienced that defeat that you are willing to surrender to God. No human being will surrender by an act of his will. You don't know how terrible the fall is. It's only those that are conquered that eventually get to surrender to God. So God will lead you first through seeker. He will allow burdens that are beyond you to come upon. If you have never, if you if you are going through that now, it means God, God loves you. It's a sign of Baba's love because he wants to weaken your human energy. And a man 
whose human energy is still active is not useful to God. And that's what's why he electrocuted Uza. Uza means carnal strength. The man was deploying carnal strength to help God. And God electrocuted him. Because it's not by power. It's not by might. It is by my spirit. And the carnal man will not allow the spirit to walk. So God will create a body on his shoulder that will overwhelm him. When he begins to yield to God, are you seeing? What, he's try- what God is trying to achieve is alignment. You know, if you are going to shoot an arrow, there's a target. So if this pillar is the target and I'm facing this direction, when God overwhelms me with the body, that's when he begins to channel my life to face the right direction. Let me tell you something, you are facing the wrong direction. As intelligent as you are, that direction you want to move in is wrong. It is only when you begin to yield to God that God will now, the arrow of your life, he will focus it on the accurate target. He said, this is how God led him. And it will interest you also to know that every one of us is a little prototype of Abraham. Everything God did in his life, he will do to you. Because he has already revealed what he wants to do to you in his dealing with Abraham. And it happens to be that you are one of the sons of Abraham because you have believed unto the Lord by faith. So he will overwhelm you. He will overwhelm you so bad that you have no choice but to yield. It is in your yielding that he begins to focus your arrow. Your, your destiny, your life is supposed to be shot at a certain target that has been ordained by God. But the strength of your flesh will not allow God to string you perfectly. So he allows challenges to come into your life. Such challenges that will belittle your human wisdom. It will reveal are you there? That you don't have sufficient strength to continue. In that brokenness, what God is doing is that he's focusing your arrow on target. Next verse. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham. The moment he's, he's, he was focused, God appeared to him. Don't forget. Don't forget. You are about to forget. In this pattern, it is God dealing with him till now. We are not sure that Abraham is interested in all of these things. God troubled him so much so that he knew that if he doesn't obey, God will not let him go. So he, he wanted peace. That was why he set out. Huh? So we are not told that he is interested yet. Because God is the one paying the price to reach out to him. Can you see? Are you there? You are not here. Do you realize that creation is an act of God? Creation. All the members of the Godhead were involved in creation. Have you you thought about it? You have not thought about it. Do you realize that the Spirit of the Lord was the one that was brooding upon the face of the waters? Do you realize that in the book of Genesis chapter 2 verse 5 to 7, 
it was the son that was manifested as Jehovah Elohim. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb before it had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to, to rain and there was no man to till the ground. It was the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim. Creation was an act of God. Did you get it? Okay. The second thing that God did is redemption. Redemption also is an act of God. It took God the Father, took God the Son, God the Holy Ghost to, to achieve redemption. Because you are not following, I will not show you acts of God in the Bible. You are not following. Redemption is an act of God. Redemption, this redemption we are talking about began with Abraham. How do we know this? Galatians chapter 3. So this thing that God began with Abraham, it was redemption. Abraham was an unbeliever. Nobody preached to Abraham. It was God himself that went and called him out of idolatry. God chose him by an act of divine election. Just like God goes to seek every unbeliever. That was, this is the first test case. So God was the one interested. God was the one hunting. Meanwhile, there were great guys that rose before Abraham. God did not start any, any initiative towards redemption with them. He started redemption with Abraham. The fullness of redemption found expression in Christ Jesus. But Galatians chapter 3 tells us the story. That when the prophecies talked about seed, seed, it was not plural, it was singular. Abraham and thy seed. He was talking about Jesus Christ. We didn't know that until Paul came with that revelation. So this was redemption starting. Began with Abraham. Now, at this time, we were not sure that Abraham is interested in the agenda that God wanted to make available to him. God appeared to him the moment the arrow had aligned. And God was able to achieve that alignment by allowing a burden. It's not every burden that is from the devil. Some of you will not be here but if the hardship that made you run here did not visit you. You see, we are, may God help us. May God. I don't know what hardship. Sister Mary, what hardship did God allow in your life? Oh, a lot. And it was aligning you. Imagine the kind of people would have been if God did not allow that hardship. He knows where to touch. He created you. He knows what will overwhelm you. But he, he does it in measures. Because he will not allow you to be tempted much more than you can bear. The purpose of the temptation is not that you will be destroyed. So he, he regulates the temptation. I, you need to hear one of my messages I preach. The regulator. <laughs> he regulates it. There's, there's a type of temptation that will come, you will, you will be broken. No, he won't allow it to get there. Because he wants to use it to align you. And the moment he aligns you, he appears to you. So he appeared to Abraham and gave him a promise. And said, unto thy seed would I give this land. And Abraham became interested in that promise. So the first altar Abraham built... You are not following me. And this altar is a second altar a human is building. Maybe tomorrow, if God permits, we'll touch the first one. This is the second altar a human is building. Prior to this time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord, but they were not told that God answered. The first time God answered human prayer was Genesis chapter 8, 
verse 20 to 22. We'll look at that till the Lord permits. Are you there? This man builds an altar to God. Why does he do that? He liked what God told him. So he will give. It's not only me you bless, you bless my seed. And you give my seed this land. Hey, this your thing is becoming interesting. So he built an altar. Do you know that he did not know God's name? So he built an altar unto the Lord. That spirit that appeared to him and gave him this promise. This altar is for you. Now, can you imagine the kind of prayer he'll be praying there? The name, he doesn't know the name of the God he's praying to. But he had built the altar and said, that God that appeared to me and told me, my seed will possess this land. It is you I am calling. You might say, ah, that's weak prayer. That's the same kind of prayer that Cornelius prayed. Cornelius was a Roman soldier that was deployed from Rome. His station was in Jerusalem. Are you with me? Are you following? So this guy's station was in Jerusalem. And he saw the way the Jews were worshipping. And somehow he knew that these guys were worshipping the true God. Because in Rome, they had a numerous assortment of gods. You, you, I know you know. You know Zeus. You know Artemis. You know, you know, Athena and all of those gods. So, those were their gods. He saw the way the Jews were worshiping. Because he was a Gentile, he did not have access to their temple. So, what he did was that he came home and began to pray to the God of the Jews and began to give arms in the name of the God of the Jews. And he did that continually. The details, <laughs> can you see how ignorant he was? Do you realize that even an ignorant man that is sincere will reach the God of heaven? This guy did not know the name of God to call God by a certain name. But he began the process. So it means that there's no excuse for anyone here to raise an altar. That guy, Cornelius, being a Gentile, continued praying to the God of the Jews and giving alms until heaven felt he was worthy of an angelic visit. And the angel came to him. That's when we discovered the limitation of angels. He, was, he couldn't preach the gospel. He said, there's a vital information that you need and there's a man called Peter that is in custody of it. Send to Joppa for a man called Peter. I was wondering why, why did the angel not preach the gospel? Because the angels don't know the gospel. When angels rebel, they become demons. And I don't have time to build that. We have two types of, of servants. We have angelic servants. We have human servants. But unfortunately, unfortunately for angelic servants, they are operating in eternity. 
Are you there? So the moment, eternity is a permanent state of existence. So if you sin in eternity, you are sin, you're, you're, you're sin. There's no re remedy for you. But man sinned in time. And time has windows. And time gave God the opportunity to manifest the fact that he's a loving God. By offering redemption, even though he had to satisfy the claims of divine justice by sacrificing his own son. All of that was possible because we rebelled in time. But Satan rebelled in eternity and there was no opportunity for him to be redeemed. So there's no redemption for angels. So you can see that angels don't know redemption. Send to Peter. That's how Peter came. And he said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feared God and doeth righteousness is accepted by him. That man was confronted with a situation that was beyond his theology. They did not disciple them to be able to accommodate the kind of thing that happened with Cornelius. Ah, so he came and said, I perceive that God, he didn't know before, he thought God was a racist. He thought God was on the side of the Jews. He didn't know that anyone that feared him and walketh righteousness is accepted. That he had to upgrade his insight that day. For God is not a respecter. He found out that day. But I hope you know the struggles that Peter had before he obliged the people that came to call him. I don't want to go there. But what was happening in heaven that was manifested in the vision that he saw was that the time had come for the gospel to get to the Gentiles. It was the altar of Cornelius that brought the gospel to the Gentiles. The altar of that man that did not know the name of God. It was his altar that opened this big door that captured you and me. Heaven. Heaven had decided this is what we want to implement in the earth now. And when Peter was confronted with the directive, can you see his struggle? That was why when he was preaching, God did not allow him to finish, to have the opportunity to make an altar call. The Holy Ghost fell on them and they spoke it to him. Regeneration took place and Holy Ghost baptism took place almost the same time. And the door of the kingdom was already open to the Gentiles. That was how Abraham was. He didn't know the name of God. But he built an altar around the promise that God gave him. How many of you do that? When God comes to you and gives you a promise. I'm going to make you this. You say amen. But Abraham operated differently. He built an altar around it. He began to burn the incense to the God that had appeared to him. That's why many things slip away from your life. You don't know how to trap the dimensions of God down. Abraham did that with altars. So he wakes up in the morning and says, Oh God that has promised my seed this land, I've come again. It's on the strength of your promise that I begin my interaction with you. I've come to worship you. I've come to give you praise. I've come to exalt your name because you, you thought about my children. And those children were not yet born. But covenant was already taking root. Guess what? Can we go on? 
Can you see? Can you see that in the life of Abraham, he pitched tents, but he built altars. So the altars were permanent, the tents were temporary. Today we build tents and we pitch altars. The altars are so temporary that even when the heat season comes, it melts it. This is what happened next. Next verse, next verse. Where are you? And he removed from thence onto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord. And what, what happened? So can you see that at this time he had known the name of the Lord? So it was around that altar he has started. Just remember where we started from. God wants you to know his way. Oh, you're not. Oh, you're not. He wants you to see the righteous one. And he wants you to hear words from his mouth. This is a man that is totally ignorant of God. He started calling him by the promise he gave me. And that was the civilization he operated in for some time. And then God came and gave him a full executive introduction of himself. The next altar he builds, he begins to call upon the name of the Lord. Are you there? Okay. I'm going somewhere. Let us... I know you know the meaning of better, which is the house of God. And maybe you know the meaning of high, which is a pile of stones. It's the same thing, it's just that high, you cannot live inside of high. You may have, maybe some of you wanted to build and you went and bought blocks, and the blocks have been there for, for two years at the site. You don't have a house because what you have is a pile of blocks. And then on this side, this better, a house. What is the difference between a pile of blocks and a house? I don't want to, I don't want to trouble you. Let me leave you. Let me leave you. Do you realize that if we are going to build, which is what we are doing now, everyone here has a gifting from God, has an impartation from God, has a measure of grace of God upon his life. But we want to build a priesthood, a corporate priesthood to him. Do you know that some blocks will be cut in half in order for them to find a place in the building? But all the blocks will be the same size on the pile. But if they are going to transform to buildings... There's an aspect of their reality that will manifest. That means the other aspect is not needed in the building, even though you have it. Everybody here can lead prayer. If I give it a mic, I say, okay, lead us forward. But 
If we are going to build, everybody cannot lead prayer. Some blocks, you know, it's one quarter that manifests on the building. The rest will be chiseled out. Let me leave you. <laughs> Let me leave you. I don't want to trouble you now. When we come to a building, you will see, you will see why flesh cannot enter that building. And when God wants to use some people, he will chisel. It's only the head of the block that can enter. In order for you to manifest in that building, a lot of chiseling will take place. God will not take you into that building with this bogus flesh. No. But not for today. You cannot feature in the building. Do you know how many years I was an usher? I was anointed. In fact, the first prophecy I gave that came to pass was a problem. Yes, it was a problem. And I did not give it on the pulpit. It was home sale. We're doing home sale. So the Lord spoke to me and I now prophesied. And then it came to pass. And then the person I prophesied to now took it to church for testimony. That's where my problems. May the Lord help us. <laughs> I was an usher for years. I'm that believer that will come. Somebody is sleeping. And I wake him up. The person will insult me and say, he was in a vision. <laughs> that he was, he was moving in a vision. And then I came and obstructed. It was when he was about to break through that I, I understand. <laughs> Bro, that one cannot enter the building. I was at the door for 14 years. I had the ability to teach. I was never given the opportunity. It was after 14 years I was given the opportunity to teach Sunday school. I had a prophetic grace, but that was not what I was given the opportunity to manifest. It was what teaching after 14 years. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. It will obstruct us. Um, maybe when we have workers meeting, I will come and teach you some things. And then you will know that some people are anointed, but they have no future in what God is building. You know why? There are still blocks that have refused to yield to chiseling, so they have no place in the house. And as a preacher and a disciple for many years, I've seen those kind of people 14 years outside the door. Nobody believed anything could come out of my life. In fact, I was in, in night prayers before the Lord. The Lord told me, I will take you to the nations of the world and you will be my voice. I came out, one of our senior brothers in the Lord, I told him, and the Lord said he would take me all over the world. He rebuked me and said, that was, that, that, that's pride. <laughs> That is pride. But I, I, he didn't know that I already knew Jesus. And that his words, what he was telling me, I knew they were not accurate. Because I had known Jesus. Nobody knew I had something with Jesus. 
It's the Lord himself that will create a place for you in Bethel. Not you that will create a place for yourself. So I was anointed. I could pray for the sick and they will be healed. But my place in his service, in the assembly God sent me. Where was it for 14 years? It was when one of the Sunday so school teachers traveled that they said, You've been here for now. We are stuck. We are stuck. So, can you? I took the handout and I went and prayed all night. Simple scriptures. I would take one scripture and it will flow. And then, it's the people I teach that cause my problem. They'll go and tell Pastor. There is a teacher. Only my teaching ministry was accepted in that house that God was building. After a while, God, God created space for my teaching ministry and my prophetic ministry. He created it himself. And there were circumstances that led to that. I never promoted myself and I stand before God. All the opportunities I stepped into in ministry, Jesus created the opportunity. I did not fight for expression. Because if you are fighting for expression, it means you are still in AI. You are still a stone and you don't want to be chiseled. I've gone to another thing. So let me end. Ah, I'll give you 20 more minutes then I'll stop. Can you see that in this scripture, this man had known the name of the Lord? So he began to call upon the name of the Lord. It means that there was some evidence of revelation. There was some evidence of disclosure that came to him because he was servicing his altar. He was attending to his altar. We came for a conference in church one day and a minister of the gospel stood on the pulpit. And he said, there's a man that came into this place and you are deaf in one of your ears. So the man identified. He came forward. And the man of God said, okay. Ask him to put one hand, one finger in his ear and block the ear that cannot hear. Then he prayed a simple prayer and asked him to open it. And that was the first time that man heard in his life from that ear. So after, I didn't even know what, remember the message he preached. After that, you know what I picked? My God can hear. My God can talk. It's okay. I went back home and I instituted night prayers. The reason why I started that prayer is because I wanted to hear the voice of God. I prayed that prayer for months. And God spoke to me loudly one day. He mentioned the scripture and I went to check the scripture and the scripture was the answer to the question I was asking. So I knew he was alive and I knew he was with me. The discovery of the fact that God could speak to me settled my problem because I knew that God knows how to make me prosper. If I maintain my relationship with God, he will guide my life. 
was not my pastor that taught me how to hear God. I saw a man manifest the fact that he had God. And I desired the same thing. And that was how I started building my own personal altar with God. Not church altar. What? Personal. So this man had the private revelation. God came and introduced himself to him on his altar. Can you see that? Now let me take you further. Are you still with me? Now in the book of in the same in the same Genesis chapter 12 you will notice from verse 10 you will notice that a famine came into the land and this same Abraham that has begun to have some form of participation with God on his altar decided to go into Egypt because of the economic situation. So he backslid. You will notice that his entry into Egypt, the, he had to lie to get a visa. As he, he was at the border, he called his wife and said, from now henceforth, as we are moving, you are my sister. It was by deceit they entered into the territory. He had backsliding. He has lost confidence in the God that he was now building that relationship with. Just like every one of you here. There is, there is a temptation for you to think that if you leave the presence of God and you go out there, that something will happen. Satan will always tell you that. At the end of the day, check Genesis chapter 13 from verse 1. Genesis 13, 1. Are you there? Come with me. Oh my God. Genesis 13, verse 1. And Abraham, if you check Genesis 12, 10, you will notice he went down to Egypt. You will notice there's a down there. Genesis 13, verse 1, he went up out of Egypt. Check it. Down, he backslided away. Now, he went where? Up out of Egypt he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him in the into the south next verse and abraham was very rich in cattle in silver and in gold this word came from the city it was an appeasement that pharaoh made available to him when god went to accost pharaoh and this pharaoh he was accosting was because of an unfaithful servant that lied but God was faithful. It was his servant that was faithless. The man accepted to come out of his backsliding state, but he came well on a lie. Are you there? Next verse. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Where, where is that place? The place of the old. So even when he was being restored from his backsliding state, restoration means you kindle your altar. To backslide means you left the place of your altar. You can still be speaking in tongues and you are still singing in the choir. But the moment you leave the place of your altar, that's the definition of backslide. You begin to operate by the flesh. And your relationship with God is going to be strained. When God was restoring him, well, how did God restore him? He restored him back to his altar. Guess what he did when he came back to the altar? Next verse. 
unto the place of the altar which he had made at the first and there Abraham did what? Do you remember when he came to this place in Bethel? All he was doing was calling on the name of the Lord. He had to return back to that practice. Stay there and be calling him. Don't be so creative and you take off like a child and say, you know, me, me, eh? what I read is mining and I should be where the gold is where. In Kumasi, you backslide. <laughs> Stay on the altar. So when I finished my youth service, in fact, for the whole youth service, I fasted throughout, seeking the face of God. We were doing six hours prayer daily. Because I knew that my life was going to come out of that relationship that I was developing with God. Do you know I was praying like six hours, four hours, and then on Saturday we do eight to four. That's how many hours? 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's how many hours? Eh? Eight hours. So we're doing eight hours on Saturdays. Four hours sometimes. Six hours. At least a minimum of four hours every day. God did not speak to me about what he had for me. My youth service finished. Who, who told you that God operates with your calendar? If you have not heard God and you take off like a tornado, you will you have backsliding. Because that thing you are going to do is not a strategy you got from the altar. I went on break during Christmas, came back again and continued. Continued the prayer on the 13th of January, the next year. That was the day God sent an angel to me. That's are you there? Yes, sent an angel to me for the first time in my life. Now, your encounter with God doesn't need to be that dramatic, but I'm just telling you my own story. The angel came to me and said that I should depart and go to Kano, where I serve. That's northern Nigeria. Those were the days when there was rioting. The Muslims were, they were rioting in the north. Nobody wants to stay in the north. But the angel of the Lord came to me and said, go back to the north. He said, it was youth service you finished, not my business. And I said, what am I going to be doing in the north? You see, the angel doesn't have details. He only has a message that God sent him to deliver. I told my family that God was sending me to the north. My mother said, over her dead body, that her husband just died. Now her son is saying she's, she's going to the north. The same angel went and appeared to my mother in the dream. and said, your own days are numbered. If this, my man doesn't go. My mother came and said, she, she's not holding me. I said, okay. <laughs> because what Mani taught us that do not violate physical authority in the name of trying to obey God. Yes, we were taught. I said, Lord, it's in your hand. She came and released me reluctantly because she was, she was disciplined. Then I went back to Canada. Continued. We're doing six hours, six hours, six hours, six hours, six hours, six hours. I did that for eight months. And then four angels came to my room. That was how my life started.
They said, you will not go into full-time ministry now. You shall be given a job. And you will invest in many destinies and a great network shall be formed. Then I did not know what network was. This was on the 20th of October 2002. I have them documented. You will not go into full-time ministry. I say, I am not asking for a job. When I was on campus, you didn't allow me to finish school. You were appearing, appearing. I almost left school in 300 level. It's the elders that called me and said, we know it's, there's fire in your bones. If you cannot finish this chemistry, everybody will believe you are a failure. I went back. I went and labored. <laughs> went and labored. I labored. The fire will come. I will, I will speak in tongues, but I will still, organic chemistry, I will still follow it. <laughs> In the night, I'll be reading scriptures. People did not know that the only way the fire will lead me to read chemistry was that I will read how many chapters? I've forgotten. I finished Bibles. I finished many of them. When I've read the number of chapters, then the fire will allow me to read chemistry. So people will be wondering, what is it theology, theology this, this guy is doing or is doing? They didn't know. I read those chapters, then read chemistry. Read the chapters, read chemistry. I graduated. Then I now told God, went on your service, I said, I have graduated! Where, where are you? He didn't come for two years. I was still on the altar. May you not become wise. And you decide to take off like a tornado without allowing your altar speak. I stayed there for two years. It was in October the next year that God now gave me direction. See, you will not go into full-time ministry. Now, I will give you a job. I said, I'm not looking for a job. The angels did not know more than what they were sent to tell. I'll give you a job. And you will invest in many destinies. You will not believe that I did not apply for that job. If I tell you that my name came out on a list for a job that I, I did not ap apply for, you will say I'm lying. But that is the truth. I, I didn't apply for it. My brother called me. I was in the wilderness in Kano preaching the gospel. They called me. Those were the days when cell phone came out. They called somebody that had a phone. And they connected me. Your name has come out to somewhere. Come and do interview. I said, I did not apply for. He says, your name. It's your name. <laughs> I had only one suit. It was white. I wore it. It was my crusade suit. From the wilderness. Oh, you know, we are from the north. We are not looking for money. It's Jesus. We, we want to die for Jesus. So I wore my crusade suit and came to Abuja. The, everybody was studying. I was the only one that did not know what to study. I said, what is happening here? So one woman came out, read the names of the people on the list. My name was on number 143. I went there. Checked it. It was my name. They said, can you identify yourself? I brought my ID card. Showed them. The, the man. So, I'm here. Okay. I sat down. I saw one guy. I asked him, what course did you read? He said, you read the industrial chemistry. I became happy. See me, I read chemistry. 
Because they called us and they called me, called the guy and called other, two other guys, put us in a bus, took us to the actual place of the interview. This place was just a pool where the people would come. Took us to that place. So I now wanted to collect the guys, the things he was reading, so that I could refresh my memory. The guy warned me and said, don't even try it. Don't. It, you are. I, yeah. So, I didn't. I didn't read anything. We now enter. Three men were sitting on the seat. Their spectacles were on their nose. You know those kind of men. So, this one asked, they asked that guy, that guy. I said, what did you read? You read industrial chemistry. They asked him a question. And I know that one. He failed. He began to stammer. He began to stammer. Then those men, those men now put their, their strength. <laughs> they now pointed me and said, you, what did you read? I said, chemistry. He said, okay, yes, industrial chemistry. Answer that man's question. You know, I can speak English a little. All the English I know, I compressed it. When I finished speaking, the, those old men, they're not like, I passed. I passed. That my man failed. <laughs> not because it was no reading. Me, I'm coming from an altar. It's an altar. Ah. Ah. <laughs> Continue reading. Continue reading. When men that have raised altars come, you will bow out. That was how the prophecy that the angel gave me began to come to pass before my very eyes. Now, now, I, I have many encounters with God. In fact, when we went where to, we were holding the retreat because of this meeting. I was having encounters. But there is a type of encounter that I can come publicly and declare. Not just these normal ones I had. You are not with me. Not these normal ones. The type I will come out and declare is those type that angels bring. Those type that angels bring, they cannot change. I, I speak in parables. If you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying. I know you have any encounters. Don't wake up and begin to say, okay, this thing will happen. It will not it will not happen. I know the type that will happen. Those wars began to pl play out before my eyes. I was given employment for a job I did not qualify for. We came on the job, they tested all of us, we were 120 in my department. When they marked the results, they promoted three of us. I was one of the three. They said, this one's performed better than the rest. They upgraded us instantly above our mates and gave us units. So I knew that those words were steadfast. That the next thing that was going to happen is that God would de demand the setting up of a network. And trust me, I didn't know what a network was. So I walked Worked for a few years. After working for a few years, the angel came again. 
And the angel said, you have been sent to a city called Makodi. Are you with me? That was where I was born. So I know the city. And I don't like the city because it's too hot. And I know colder cities. I mean, I sweat a lot. So I know colder cities that would have been convenient for me. Are you there? They now said they were going to post us out. People were lobbying, giving money, doing all kinds of things to influence posting. I said, God, if it is you that spoke to me, without influencing the posting, let my name come out in my God. And I saw that there were some ladies that loved, they are from Benway State, so they like my God. They, they have gone to beg. I didn't beg, meet anybody. When the list came out, my name was on Makodi. It's okay. We reported. When we reported, I used one year to fast and pray and say, Lord, is this the time to start this network you spoke about? I did one year of prayers on the altar. He did not speak. So I wanted to start a meeting in January. He said, no, add 100 days of fasting. Those 100 days brought it to March. That's how we started. We organized a meeting like this. I will come and teach. I will teach the Bible. Then we will intercede. That was all. We started with 78 people. It began to move. Began to move. Began to move. It never went down. It never went below 78. Move, move. Even when Satan came, we were interceding. We interceded for one month. We will come out for three days and hold a conference. We intercede for one month. We'll come out every day, every day, every night, every day, every night. Come out for three days. Hold the conference. Before you knew it, the land began to open. And that land is hard. I don't have time. Kept going, kept going. Satan got angry. Raised people in the office to punish me. Raised people everywhere to punish me. I went back to him. He said, who gave you that job? I said, it's you. You told me about the job four months before they created the office. So you are the one I should bow down to. He said, okay, go back. The people that wanted to frustrate me, he frustrated all of them. I've seen a situation in the office where 30 people, 30 people said they were going to take me down. I went to him for three days. Hey, men have risen. He took 30 men down. One claimed that I would never preach if I'm under him. I went to him and said, ah, we have a man here. He removed him. He removed him. I said, don't, don't, don't kill him. Or just promote him. Promote him. Promote him away. They promoted him and moved him far away. One said he was going to fail me. He was going to fail me. That ending of this year, you will fail. You will fail. Two weeks to the, to the assessment, they sacked him. Exactly. And then the person that came promoted nine of us and I was among. I climbed from the bottom to the top. How did I go up? By altar. Are you there? Two weeks for me to become a manager. Jesus appears to me and say, resign. Yes. I'm telling you. And I told him, don't you want a manager to be in your service? 
Is that not a, not a good thing that your son is a manager? You know how he told me, he said, when will your passport expire? I said, 28th of September, 2020. Say your job expires that same day. Clear. I resigned. On the 5th of October, 2020. Are you there? Now, after resignation, I came back and were praying. It's in that prayer, the anointing that has taken me to all the nations you have seen me go came that day. It came because I obeyed and resigned. Today, today, where God has put me, oh, oh, I don't need to tell you. I am here by altar. I will show you how to use an altar to prosper. I will show you how to use an altar to fight an altar fighting you. I will show you how to use an altar as a pavilion of protection so that even if your, your enemies eat witchcraft, they will not see you. I have practiced it. I'm not telling you what I don't know. It's what I have practiced. It's what I have practiced. That's what this conference is about. I want to tell you how to track God. Do you know how many wizards have fallen because they said this man must be cut off? I saw that there's no power as strong as a righteous altar. I want to end by saying an altar is an embassy. An embassy is a place where you go to negotiate your entrance into another sovereign territory. Is that true? So you want to go to America, you go to the American embassy in Accra and you negotiate your entrance. You pay for a form. You come for an interview. And then they give you endorsement and give you a visa. That's how you can go into that country. You see, God, by an act of a royal decree, decided to give us sovereignty in this earth. The Bible says in the book of Psalms 115 verse 16 that the heavens, even the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth has he given unto the sons of men. It's your sovereign territory. When you set up an altar, what you are saying is that you are negotiating the intervention of God in your realm. An altar is a place where earthly permission is granted for heavenly interference. There are so many things about this life in the spirit that we are going to study during the course of this weekend. Things that I've all practiced and I've seen his potency, I've seen his power and you can also practice it. If you are still with me, say amen. amen. An altar gives you the opportunity to be able to interface with God. You see, we did not check the meaning of mamre. That was where I was supposed to end. Mamre. But An altar gives you the opportunity to experience God rather than to be explaining God. We've been on 87 international missions since I resigned. So we've entered 87 countries. 
we have the statistics. I'm speaking from the statistics because every mission that will go for there will capture the details, people that were saved, all this kind of stuff. So I'm telling you from that table, from that graph, 87 missions. I've been to places where the witches, witches came and began to curse me. I've been there. But you know what? I'm still here. Those courses didn't work. I've been to places that are non-Christian. And while I ministered in those places, ah, the power of God broke out. Most of you must have watched it on, the, on YouTube. A Muslim woman came with a boy and uh, this black stuff on our eyes that are here, his own, two of them were here. Are you with me? The power of God touched the guy. The thing went back to the normal place. And the mother sent him, go and testify. Because she's a Muslim. She doesn't. So I, the guy now came nine years. I said, how old have you? He said, nine years. Meanwhile, okay. I said, no, you're not here alone. Who did you come with? Then the mother now came. I said, can you tell us? This boy cannot be telling us something I will believe. She now described how the guy's eyes were when he was born and what had happened to him now. Because it's a Muslim-dominated place, I did not lead her to Christ. I just asked her, when this boy grows, tell him it is Jesus that healed him. That was all. I left. But you know now, I've gotten a report from that mission field. The woman is not only born again. He attends our 10-hour prayers. Ten hour prayer. That one. That's not all. It is her husband that comes to drop her. The husband does not come, but the husband comes to drop. I didn't lead her to Christ because I didn't want to create problem for the for the point man there. Because if I do that, hey, no, no. But the Lord Jesus went ahead of the preacher. You know why? Not because my preaching is powerful. It's because I am coming from, I was sent from an altar. I want to teach you the secrets that I've worked with all these years. And meanwhile, if you are not willing to live a holy life, you can't do business with God. So, I believe you already know that. God is so sensitive. I've met people that claim to have powers. People that claim to be warlocks. In Belgium, three witches came for the meeting. I was preaching and they shot something at me. And they did it three times. I said, okay. It means you are willing to fight. You are ready to fight. I'm always a calm man until you strike me twice. So I came from, came from the pulpit and I began to look for these witches. Yes, I began to look, not with physical eyes. Oh, as I teach like this, there are many things I see which I'm not seeing it to reveal it. It's just I'm intimate with God. He does that. The fact that God is showing you things doesn't mean you should be talking. I started looking for these witches. I now 
arrested one. Then the, the demon began to curse me. I allowed the demon finish cursing. Then I commanded the spirit to come out. I commanded three times. One, two, three. The spirit jumped, jumped out. I put my hand on her. She got filled with the Holy Ghost. So I left that one there. I started looking for the second one because I knew there were three. And normally they will sit in a triangle. One will sit here, one will sit there, one will sit there. Normally. So that they can combine their power. They've done all those kind of stuff. It didn't work. And they are coming from an altar. So I need to teach you how to overcome other altars. They say Ghana is strong. Mm. That's how. Mm. Ghana is not the strongest. Though. They say the north is strong. Go to Benary Republic. Benary Republic. Go to Cameroon. And I'm telling you as a man that has a gift to scan territories. The prayer in Ghana has softened the darkness here. The altars in Benin Republic are almost untouched. They are in their native state. Very potent. What we are here to do this weekend is to unleash you will see results and I assure you to unleash the hand of God. There is something to do to move the hand of God. Some people hated me and they say hey, we, we. And then they had an accident and their skull broke. I, I, I don't know. It's, I don't have any hand in it. But it is in futility for you to fight a man that has a righteous altar. It will not end well. We are going to pray in a moment. And uh, okay, I have a few minutes. In the next 10 minutes, when we pray, I will speak. Before tomorrow, some of the results will already come up. And I'm not, you don't understand. I'm not saying this boastfully. No. It's not by power. I know this. It's not by might. God has already shown me how futile my energy is. Are you with me? When I was on campus, I was the, most, I was the proudest of men because of my intellectual capacity. So God has dealt with me. Don't worry. It's not pride I'm talking. I know what I am talking about. We'll pray in a moment. And I will speak. Tomorrow, we will start. Hallelujah. If a man is restored from backsliding, what is the evidence that he has been restored? He goes back to where? So by, by that definition, most of you are backslided. Most of you, you left. You left the altar. Some of you, when you were younger, you used to manage altars that were fiery. Thank God you are coming back. Some of you are coming back. But don't leave your altar. According to the prescription that our ancestors gave us, human life cannot be lived outside of the influence of an altar. Can we pray? Human life. You are too weak. That's why the wizard, the wizard... The wizard believes he has an upper hand because he has he knows the deity he has been intercoursing with. 
He understands how to operate the embassy. So he knows how to welcome the presence of demonic spirits. He knows it. And as long as he has the covering of his demonic spirits, he believes he has an advantage over you. He believes he has an advantage over us. But we are going to clear his doubts. Can we pray today? I know we have a corporate altar here. We'll talk about national altars, how national altars are set up. How ministry altars are set up. How personal altars are set up. And the work of priesthood, and the kinds of sacrifices that you need to offer. Every problem has a corresponding sacrifice that can quell it. Every problem. If you know what to bring on the altar, you can solve, you can quiet every storm. We're going to pray tonight and say, Lord, in this week, this weekend, make us wise by the Holy Ghost. Show us the strength that you are willing to make available to us around the altar where our weaknesses and insufficiencies will be swallowed up. Where grace and might will arise from our contemplations in the spirit. Where the sound of the battle will be turned against the enemy. Where the weak among us will be made strong. <laughs> Where God will give you a voice that can echo across the nations of the world. Where God puts upon you the mantle of wealth. And the insignificant thing that you are doing begins to speak. That the voice of your spirit might be heard. Awake, awake, awake. As in the ancient days, as in the days of old. And thou not him that wounded the dragon. And thou not him that caught Rahab and caused your ransom to walk on dry ground. Arise as in the days of old. Open our understanding. Make us wise by your spirit. Oh, it is not by power. It is not by might. It is by your spirit. Says the Lord. Strengthen us and might. By your spirit in our inner man. Guide us. In the way that we shall go, take us beyond the limitations and patterns that have bedeviled the members of our families and of our clans. 
So fold your strength. Blot out the tongue of the Egyptian seed. Cut it in the seven streams. Upon the doorway to the river and away in the wilderness. Arise, O God, and let our enemies be scattered. and strengthen us. Open our eyes to see. Give us understanding. Give us insight. Source the ground upon which darkness is standing. Give us the authority to displace demons that have created the patterns that have limited our houses. Sarah, 
This weekend, there is going to be a transformation. Praise. 